Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. I'm Nicola Merrifield, Campaign's Premium Content Editor. Today's episode will focus on an area that agencies spend a lot of time and energy on, new business. But before we get to that, we have some of the campaign team here in the studio to talk about some of the latest news and events. We have Coral Cripps, Campaign's Technology and Gaming Editor, and Gideon Spanier, Campaign's UK Editor-in-Chief. Hi to both of you. Hello. Hey. So this week on Campaign, we had a look at agency staffing and what's been happening around employee term. The analysis, which is available to knowledge readers, found average staff turnover at agencies is still high. Gideon, can you give us some of the details? Yes. Yeah, so this is came out of our school reports coverage, which we do uh, in the middle of the spring. But this is some additional stuff. And you, Nicola, obviously played a key role in this because you were devising these questions and asking more really about agencies. And we surveyed the top 100 agencies in the UK. So I think the, the, the sort of idea that churn is an issue in agencies is, is it's, a, it's been a kind of perennial issue for many, many years. And there are lots of potential reasons why, um, from the culture to pay and so on. So interestingly, I think creative agencies had slightly lower churn, around 21%. Our figures show media agencies about 25%. This was for figures disclosed by the agencies themselves. And they they really were, you know, they varied a lot. I mean, one agency had 48% churn. We don't identify the agencies, but that's a high level of churn, right? Yeah, it certainly is. And then when we looked down, we also, for the first time, looked at turnover by seniority level. And this really did provide some big contrast. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised. In the C-suite, so top level, 4% change. That's not a great deal. Although I think we know actually in quite a few agencies, I would say <laughs> the CEO changes happen more than you might think. Uh, the manager level, 18%. At entry level, 16%. But really, this was the bit which is the eye-catching one, I think. At junior level, 24% change. And you know, that is a, a high level. And this is what the agencies are saying themselves. And, you know, there are benefits. People do move job because they're getting promotions and so on. But I think it does raise questions. And if we think about, as this article points out, what, say, the all-in inclusion census showed, where People from different ethnic groups, sometimes you know, women, people with disabilities are more likely to talk about lack of inclusion as a reason to leave their job. So that, I think, are the headlines from this piece. And, you know, the headline is uh, on the piece is churn concern. And I think that's the point. You know, if people are leaving their jobs, it's sometimes for negative reasons. Absolutely. And some of the other things that we found out actually from writing this piece was that in 2022, while staffing turbulence, we said it's not necessarily a new thing. Um, the previous year, there was more talk about the great resignation. Um, but what is new this year is that there's increasingly a feeling that staff might be leaving, um, you know, as a kind of uh, result of maybe client requirements changing or wider economic uncertainty. For instance, if an agency loses a client, or we've also heard agencies tell us that they've actually been finding it difficult to hire when they're replacing staff because people in agencies are maybe hesitant to move jobs because they're trying to seek job security. 
And then it's kind of changing again as we think about 2023. Um, having spoken to a recruiter for the piece, uh, Brian Matthews from The Candidate said that um, he noticed that recruitment's been slowing in the first half of 2023. Um, but as the second half of the year comes around, um, he's expecting that to ramp up again as clients become more confident in spending and therefore agencies respond by hiring more again. So um, aside from that, we also had at the end of last week, a breakfast briefing hosted by Campaign that was all about generative AI. Now, Coral, uh, you chaired the event alongside Gideon. So could you tell us a bit about what happened there? Yeah. So um, Gideon and I co-chaired this breakfast briefing. Um, It was called The Future of Generative AI and Advertising. Um, We both had a really great time. And um, I think overall it covered ways that generative AI will impact the future of advertising. Um, Some of the key takeaways were about how the various types of AI applications out today can create content and what sorts of capabilities are now available for brands and agencies. Um, We also talked about the key legal risks associated with using generative AI and what brands and advertisers need to consider to mitigate those risks. Um, And we talked about uh, how generative AI is challenging our understanding of creativity and how marketers can adapt to these changes. So there's been a lot of talk about whether AI is going to steal people's jobs. Was there any conclusion on that front? Uh, Yeah, so I think Gideon and I both feel that most of the talks were pretty positive. Um, I feel like quite a number of the sessions emphasized on where human creatives were involved with processes that used AI. Um, And I don't I think they didn't just touch on, but they really demonstrated how where AI was being used, uh, it wasn't being used as a substitute for human creativity. Um, I feel like one of the biggest takeaways for me was that it very much needs to be understood that marketers, they will need to adapt and um, they will need to accept the fact that their roles are not going to be the same in the next five to 10 years. Um, This is probably not negotiable. Um, However, I think that AI is going to have a really positive impact on brands and agencies and increase their efficiency. Um, And I think that we did a great job of making that known to our audience. So just building on that, we had a few great sessions of a combination of interviews and panels and so on. And one of our speakers, Nora Zuckerscheidt, who is Global Marketing Director for Brand Agency London, which owns a number of different sort of beauty brands, Lottie London, I'm Proud. Uh, She was saying, no, I expect my job to be different in 10 years time, and I'm excited about it. And I think that's right. There's lots of exciting things that you can do with AI. Of course, we're in very early in what is partly a hype cycle. But we had the World Wildlife Fund do a presentation and they'd done uh, some creative work with their agency Uncommon, where they had used the technology to imagine what famous scenes from the art world, beautiful scenes of the English countryside would look like if the sort of deforestation and other climate change happened. And it was actually like compelling interesting it was an they turned into an exhibit they used some of it in outdoor and so on and they did it with three weeks notice so they were talking about the legal challenges with that getting that signed off having to go to the ceo quickly and you know it's interesting what you can try doing with this and as coral and i both felt there was a sense that that you're not going to make this go away. And just give you a sense, by the way, we did it in the Curzon Soho, which is a cinema in Soho. And there were more than 230 people there. Then it was packed. It was a packed event. Uh, so there's a lot of interest and appetite um, because people want to know. And yes, I guess if you were having a horse and cart, 
there's a danger that you know, motorized transport was going to put you out of business. Uh, I think AI might put some people out of business, but they'll find new jobs. And I think actually technology tends to, uh, you know, that, that's the record of technology. It tends to create new opportunities. Right. Yeah, that's what's so exciting about it. So I think everyone left the the event feeling really excited. We got a lot of, yeah, people saying, you know, they really learned something from it. And even just to to build on what Gideon was saying about that WWF campaign, um, they held both a physical gallery and a virtual gallery of those images that they were all generated by AI. They did go to art historians to finalize the images, so they did still use human creativity. Um, but nonetheless, those images, I think they said they had over 250,000 engagements overall between the in-person visits and the virtual visits. So yeah, like Gideon said, there is obviously an appetite for things that AI is creating and people are really excited to learn more. So we're excited to see where it goes. But one more thing, you know, we absolutely, the, the, the importance of both sort of regulation and responsibility came up a lot during the, the, the morning. And, you know, just to give a shout out for journalism, you know, journalists play a really important role in holding companies, businesses to account, governments. And, you know, it's going to become more important than ever that you're truthful about stuff. If you've manipulated stuff, you need to say so. And journalists' job will be to make sure that when we report stuff, we're transparent about it too, because I think that's where if things get manipulated and you don't tell the audience, that's bad news. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to be the truth tellers. Well, it sounds like a really interesting event. Thanks both for updating us on it and having talked a bit about AI and jobs and moving on to um, a story on campaign this week that was around um, a significant departure at Dentsu. Um, I wondered, Gideon, if you could explain what's happened there. Sure. So this is Jackie Kelly, who has been the global chief client officer for Dentsu and the CEO of the Americas. And she has jumped, she's moved to IPG, which is you know one of the big uh, rival agency groups uh, where she used to work and she's going to be their chief client and chief business officer. So I can tell you that this was a rumor going around at Cannes just a couple of weeks ago, and then I managed to get that confirmed, and it took a couple of days. And I think the significance of this is that you know, Dentsu is one of the five biggest agency groups in the world, and they have been trying to bring their core Japanese business together with the international business. But it's been quite painful. Um, last year, Wendy Clark, who was the CEO of International, left. And Jackie Kelly was the second most senior woman after Wendy. So for them to lose another senior woman in itself is a negative, in my opinion. But obviously going to a rival, you know, people do come and go, but there have been a number of other departures at Dentsu. And I think one of their challenges is, just as we were talking about agency churn, you know, if there's not stability in your senior leadership team, questions are asked. And I do think... Dentsu has challenges. So that's what I would say on that. In terms of going back to Interpublic, Interpublic is the fourth largest of the groups uh, by certain measures. Actually, Dentsu employs more people, around sort of 68,000. IPG is more like 58,000. But the, the challenge, I think, at IPG is they've had a very good five years, but actually they, they, they were among the first to sort of see a bit of slowdown in revenue at the start of 2023. 
and you know it, it's a, it's a tough time and you've got to get closer to clients so i think the appointment of a chief client and chief business officer at ipg is that sense that these big global pitches which are quite rare but very valuable we had pfizer this year coca-cola a couple of years ago these are the kinds of things very big pieces of business where you need to really have someone who's good with clients and for Dentsu, you know jackie kelly leaving leaves a big hole michael Komancinski will replace her as the ceo for the americas but the chief client officer role they are letting slip for now and i'm sure Dentsu will say that they have a very strong business but the truth is is i think some people in the market wonder who is the key person for a big client to go talk to at Dentsu. Well, thanks, Coral and Gideon, for that roundup. Um, and now we're going to move on to the next part of the episode. For that, we have two guests joining us who are going to talk us through the latest pitching trends and what's coming down the line for the rest of the year. They are Tracy Barber, Global Chief Transformation and Growth Officer at Have Us Creative, and Lisa Humphreys, Chief Operating Officer at Group M EMEA. We also have Maria Yu, Campaigns Intelligence Editor, who oversees Campaign Advertising Intelligence, which is our new business analytics tool. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. So we are halfway through 2023, and it feels as though pitching is in full swing. We're going to dig into some of the trends at both an EMEA and global level today. In the UK, 2023 started with some high-profile pitches. There was, of course, the John Lewis Partnership Review, with Saatchi & Saatchi being named as the company's new creative agency in May. We also saw Sainsbury's hand its creative account to new commercial arts in April following a pitch. And Campaign reported in March that national lottery operator Alwyn was set to split its ad account between Leo Burnett and VCCP. Maria, Campaign AI ranks agencies according to their billings from new business – can you tell us what our latest creative league table for EMEA is showing? So campaign advertising and intelligence, we track new business on a global level. We publish our agency rankings every two months based on net new business billings with the latest rankings covering up to April. And these rankings are available to our knowledge subscribers. So on the creative side, we have Saatchi and Saatchi at the top, followed by sister publicist shop Leo Burnett, and at number three, we have Havas Creative. So big account moves in the UK include, as we've already mentioned, John Lewis Partnership and a new lottery operator, Orwin, and also banking group Halifax, which went back to Adam and Eve after the brand moved to new commercial arts in 2020. Elsewhere, there's the Bauhaus retail chain in Germany, which appointed Leo Burnett, and food company Maspex in Poland, which recruited publicists worldwide. Great. So um, that's the flavor of kind of what's going on in general. But then how has Creative actually boosted billings by more than threefold um, during March and April? So Tracy, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about, you know, what's behind that? So I think, I think as all growth individuals know, and I'm sure Lisa will testify to this, you start thinking about the next year in October of the previous year. So you know that by the time you get to October 2023, I should be thinking about 2024 and ensuring that we've got the right narrative in the market, that we're clear about where our opportunities are coming from, that we understand what's working and what isn't working. So one of the key areas of focus for us at Havas is making sure that we are identifying where opportunities might come from. So that's that classic who reviewed when and what is likely to be up for review next. 
whether that's through a intermediary or a consultant or whether it is through procurement or whether it's direct through marketeers that we have contact with. And as a consequence of that, we start building out our contact strategy to talk to the right people at the right time with the right message. So what I'm seeing very strongly across Europe is more direct contact in terms of pitch opportunities. So our ability to build those relationships in advance and be clear about the the stories we're telling, the types of creative work that we want to showcase, the awards we're winning, or the business issues that we're addressing is absolutely critical. So it sounds like you're saying that the the boost in billings that we've seen from the you know the most recent two month period actually would have already been the foundations for that you know happening a year in advance. Correct. So so is the agency you know where it wants to be in terms of pitching activity in EMEA at the moment? Is that what you? You planned for. Yes, yes. I mean, and I think, I think again, from a pitching point of view, you know, I, I am very, very adamant in the way that we approach pitches. In as much as I prefer to say no more often than I say yes. So it's about being super selective in the types of opportunities that we continue to go for, being very clear about where our strengths are, but also being prepared to say, actually, this opportunity might not be right for the agency. Uh, And as a consequence, looking at different opportunities in a different direction. And why might it not be right exactly? What what, what are the considerations? So Again, every agency has a different narrative around this, but we use the same we use the same three criteria. It tends to be does it give us fame? Does it give us fortune? Is it fun? So other people will have a, a slightly different variation on that theme, but we all assess opportunities in the same way. So is there the right cultural fit that we'll all enjoy working together and it's a proper partnership? Is there any money? Um, and actually, is it going to create work that will stand out and make both the client and the agency famous and proud? You need two out of those three to be it, for it to be super effective, if I'm honest. Um, and we can play around with you know what two of those criteria might be, but you need to get that level of commitment behind an opportunity for it to be right for both the client and the agency. So you've just laid out the criteria there, which is interesting. But um, are there any are there any pitches or pitch wins that you've seen in in the last recent few months um, on the creative side that have kind of caught your eye, where you know you sort of found them interesting, or maybe you felt that you would have gone for them, or what's what's your take on what's been happening? I think, I mean, honestly, I think John Lewis was a really interesting pitch opportunity because it was such a challenge to be have an opportunity coming out of such an iconic piece of work. And having seen the brief, the brief was almost more of the same. You know, the brief was around, give us a Christmas ad. Uh, so I thought, you know, actually super inspiring from one perspective because it's a brand that everybody wants to work with. Um, secondly, it was a brief that honestly, I think many in the industry looked at and thought, oh, this is going to be hard to crack. This is going to be a real challenge. Have us couldn't do it because it's direct conflict because we obviously have our work with Asda, which we're incredibly proud of. So we would not have been able to pursue it in any any way, shape or form. But I do think, you know, looking at that opportunity, that was a pitch everybody wanted to work on because they do such glorious work and did with Adam and Eve. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting following that um, as it's progressed. Um, so moving on to like, the media agency rankings across EMEA, um, our analysis of what's been happening there tells a slightly different story. Maria, can you explain what's been happening? 
Yeah, so on the EMEA media rankings, um, we have Essence Mediacom currently at the top up to April, followed by OMD and then Hearts and Science. We've got some big account moves in the UK that include Flutter Entertainment, which owns brands including Paddy Power and Betfair. That account went to Essence Mediacom. Then we also have some multi-market accounts for SUNY, which is the Philips domestic appliances division. That's an EMEA account that has gone to Hearts and Science and also food group Dr. Edgar. That's also a Europe account, which went to OMD. So there's definitely been some juicy cross-market accounts so far this year. Fantastic. Thank you. So Lisa, two of the top five media agencies in our rankings uh, belong to Group M. Um, so as we said, we've got Essence Mediacom out in front and then Wavemaker ranked in fourth position. I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about, you know, why why your agencies are doing so well in EMEA so far this year? Well, I think we have, we've seen to Tracy's point earlier around really looking at the opportunities and, and going for those opportunities where we have the best chance of winning. I think we're also being selective in the way that we approach our new business. I think we've got a number of new offers that we launched last year that are really coming to fruition this year and really engaging with our prospective clients. And, you know, having a having a good success rate in new business is really important and our narrative is landing really well. And that's why you see the the great results that we're seeing um, from from Essence Mediacom being being number one on the list is something that we're incredibly proud of. When you say there's a new offering, do you mean the, the new um, formed entity, the merger? Yeah. So I think from from that side of things, um, Essence Mediacom, um, the new the new entity is resonating really well with with clients. I think that that push into digital data, technology, analytics is something that is really landing extremely well from a new business perspective, and also the the real investment that we've made in our our performance organization globally in the last 18 months, I think is really starting to um, gain enormous traction. So I think it's a combination of those things. Interesting. So just to remind ourselves, so it's in January that the two agencies, Essence and Mediacom, formally launched as a joint agency globally. Although, as I understand it, in the UK, they are still operating slightly separately due to client conflicts. They are, yes, due to client conflicts, but around the world, that that merger is really gathering pace. Okay, and how does that actually how does that affect the new business activity in the UK? Then is that slightly different? I think that what we're seeing is that the 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 learnings that come from um, the essence um, data and analytics capabilities are, are permeating right across the business from a from a UK perspective, and and clearly seeing the benefit. Um, across both parts of the organisation in the UK, from from that, and also Essence Media, uh, the Mediacom side, bringing through um, that real heritage of strategic planning, and we're seeing a fusion of those two things. So businesses are operating separately, but I think they really are learning from each other um, under the new structure. Great, thank you. It's it's interesting, isn't it? And more, um, yeah, there'll be so much more to come from that as the year goes on. So. Um, the other thing we wanted to look at was um, what's been happening on a global level. So Campaign AI also tracks new business billings um, worldwide. Um, and so it's interesting to see the differences and similarities that, that shows uh, for different agencies. So globally for creative agencies in our rankings, the two top spots remain unchanged by the end of April. Um, but there were some other big changes too, weren't there, Maria? That's right. So for our rankings covering up to April, um, Saatchi and Saatchi is at the top and it's actually the only creative agency so far this year to surpass 1 billion in new business billings. 
that's on a global level. Um, at number two, we have Leo Burnett. And both of these agencies are in the same position as they were in February. And at number three, we have Digitas, which is a climber. And other climbers as so far in April include MSL, Havas Creative, and Densu Creative is a new entry. Key account moves for these climbers and the new entry include investment company T. Rowe Price, which went to Digitas, Apple TV Plus, which went to Dentsu. Both of these are US accounts and also dairy company Yili, which picked Havas Creative for its China brief. Great. Thank you. So, um, so Tracy, Havas Creative on these particular rankings has moved up two positions on a global level from eighth to sixth position. Um, what What's the kind of behind that? Uh, could you kind of explain a bit there? So I think, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of talk at the moment about purpose. Um, and having just come out of the can, I think everybody was having similar conversations. But I, Habas has a very clear proposition, which is we make a meaningful difference to brands, businesses and people. And the way that we focus our energies is looking at how we drive um, business, not just grow, but to grow well. So that's actually thinking about that whole balance of people, profit and planet. And what we're seeing through a lot of client opportunities coming through is how we can ensure that we deliver effectiveness, not just brilliant creativity, but actually how we can drive business growth and grow in the right way. And one of the wins, and it wasn't necessarily mentioned in the uh, assessment that you've just done that we're particularly proud of, is alongside our sister agency, BTC. Earlier on this year, we won uh, Danone globally, which again is a fabulous creative win with a business that has a very clear vision um, and actually seeing those businesses with that level of vision, again, coming out of Cannes, which is, you know, we're all, we've all been there all and been talking about it. You know, the work that we did for Reckitt uh, picked up some incredible awards this year in the autism work. And we got the Grand Prix for good from our Harvest Paris agency. And again, that whole narrative of creating work that generally makes a difference I think is driving more pitch opportunities and more pitch wins, frankly. So, and how is Havas Creative in a in a you know a strong position then to to win those? What what you know? There's particular things that are going on at the agency which mean that you can um, succeed when it comes to sort of purpose led briefs. So we have um, a very strong uh, study, which is a piece of intelligence called our Meaningful Brand Study, that was relaunched this year and sits across uh, both media and creative. So we have one mission and one methodology. And I think that integrated story, again, certainly for Havas is becoming more and more important. So the ability to say, whatever the problem, you know, we can actually address the problem in the same way with teams that work together without individual silos is becoming more and more a demand from both procurement and from clients. And being able to deliver that in the right way, I think is, is showing up in terms of wins. It's interesting as well that you mentioned about Can um, earlier on because um, there was some talk about whether um, the you know awards would move away from purpose potentially. Um, what's your what's your kind of take on on that and and where things are heading more long term? It's really interesting because I think you know when I look at the awards that we won and we had it we had for the size of business that we are we had a very very successful year. Um, the ones that we are most proud of is actually we won a goal for creative strategy, 
for Wreck It and the Me, uh, My Autism and I campaign. And I think that strategic point of view of how we are delivering change is something that again and again is delivering more prevalence. So I think people will be looking at what work is driving business change or business results rather than just being awarded for awards sake. The other thing I wondered whether, um, you know, when we're looking at the the statistics in our rankings, um, you know, which agencies do you see as your kind of closest competitors in terms of new business on a on a global level? How what's the kind of criteria for for kind of, you know, sizing yourself up, I guess? <laughs> so my point of view is I'm, I compete against everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so So genuinely, I mean, I think I think what's interesting, again, is that uh, on a global point of view, there are, you know, I, I, because I look after all 74 of our villages worldwide from a creative perspective, I'm very aware of the difference between MEA through to Italy, through to the US, through to the UK. Um, and we have different competitors in each market. It differs. It very much differs by agency group and where the strengths are of the individual agencies. But do you know what? What I think is important is is being very clear about what you stand for as an agency and who you are. Um, when people talk about who are we up against on one particular pitch, my response is always, do you know what? I don't care. Our focus is on doing our best work and focusing on the client rather than on our competitors. That probably doesn't answer your question, but it's the truth. <laughs> That's okay. It's so interesting to hear. And the other thing I wonder is, so again, going back to our rankings, when there are agencies such as MSL and Digitas gaining significant new business billings in a period, but overall, they've still won relatively a small number of accounts so far this year. It kind of brings up the debate around, you know, volume uh, versus the value of the account. So what what's your take on that for, you know, creative agencies? What's your viewpoint? So I think, I think it's a balance, isn't it? I think, I don't think you can be brilliant globally without being brilliant locally um, and I think that's really important and going back to I think the point that Lisa made as well I think it's about being very very clear about what your individual capabilities are and what you feel culturally is the right fit for you as an agency to create partnership because I think I did um, I did a session at ProcureCon before Cannes and we were talking about the agency client relationship and how essential it is to have openness and honesty between agency and clients about what the right solutions are for both. And I think sometimes it is, it is and we did a piece of research that said that 58% of brands are actually feel that their agencies aren't delivering. That was, that was nothing to do with Havas. That was across the entire agency-client relationship. And I think what we've got to do as agencies is make sure that we deliver a brilliant client experience. Now, if that means we're doing it locally and we're winning and creating happy clients with client satisfaction scores that are where I want them to be, then I'm just as happy with that as I am with winning a big global piece of business. So it's, it's, it's client first, honestly. So, and that might be a mix of local or global. Mm, it's a challenge for everyone. Okay, so um, at a global level, we've also been looking at our media agencies and there's been um, less movement at the top of, of that particular league table. Maria, can you give us some of the details? Yeah, so looking at our global rankings, uh, we have at the moment OMD at the top. So it's actually the only agency that's getting close to the 2 billion new business billings mark. And then we've got Spark Foundry followed by Starcom in third. 
Spark Foundry and Starcom basically have traded places since the February rankings. And in fact, much of the top 10 are at the same agencies, but in a slightly different order. However, we do have iProspect and Media Hub as new entries in the top 10. And there are some big names when we look at the reviews so far this year, particularly in the US. So they include L'Oreal, Comcast and Adobe. So they went to OMD, Spark Foundry and Wavemaker respectively. And the biggest global account so far um, was Jaguar Land Rover, which chose Hearts and Science. Fab, thank you for that overview. And then we've also got Mindshare in um, number four. So um, Lisa, what's what's your view on how the lead table's, you know, looking so far and how how Mindshare's doing so well in that kind of global setting? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, Mindshare have just been awarded Media Network of the Year at Cannes, something everyone uh, across the network is incredibly proud of. And I think what you see there is a real breadth and depth globally of of creative excellence, of strategic insight, and and actually with some of those awarded campaigns of a real commitment within that partnership from clients and and from the teams at Mindshare, you you know, you see some of those campaigns are a real evolution of strategies that have been in place for a number of years. And I think those are winning through. So I think that's definitely something that that our our, um, our all clients are are always looking at and can's clearly a really important um part of our year for, for that reason, amongst many other reasons. Um I think what we're seeing more broadly, and, and, and my remit is across EMEA, but obviously I speak frequently with my, my counterparts in other regions and globally, is we're seeing more pitches happening at a regional or global level than we have done in, in previous years. And I know the last three or four years have been slightly unusual, but we're definitely seeing more pitches um, across regions. So I think um, it's interesting that you're seeing some movement in those in the rankings. I think the pieces that are moving are potentially bigger and moving, you know, in, in one pitch process um, for, for fully global pitches. So I think that is interesting that, that that's happening. And it's definitely a trend that we're seeing internationally, but certainly across EMEA and across uh, and across Europe, we're seeing far more um, regional pitches happening. When you said you mean multi-regional, is, is that is that how you're looking? So a combination, really. We're actually seeing um, more multi-market. So clients who are pitching two, three, four markets who have historically pitched on a, on a local market basis, but also ac- across Europe, across EMEA, mm. and then connected regions uh, right up to fully global pitches. Uh, I think the balance of those things has shifted it slightly in favor of uh, the more connected pitches than than individual markets from what we're seeing. And what do you think is driving that? I think it's a number of factors. I think we saw in 2021 post, uh, you know, post the, the kind of year of, of a desert in terms of pitches in, in 2020, lots of business pitching. I think we're seeing fewer but larger pitches come up in terms of value to your to your point earlier around um, volume and, and value, we're definitely seeing larger pieces of business um, come up for pitch this year. So I think you know we're in that third year. If you think about a, a traditional cycle in terms of new business, we're coming into a period where potentially lots of clients have got new business that is that is due to pitch, and they're looking at I think 
the media landscape and it's dramatically changed from from the last time they pitched but also what's happened throughout the the covid period really fast digitization you know a real changes in e-commerce if you think about automotive and cpg and luxury their route to consumer has changed dramatically since the last time that, that they may have reviewed their agency relationships. And so now what they need to make sure is, you know, this that their agency partnership can deliver tomorrow for the things that they need, but also can cope with those new routes to consumer and the changes they're going to see over the next contractual period. Where we see large clients with high volumes of first party data or a real interest in um in connecting with consumers on a on a one-to-one basis you need to make sure that you've got that infrastructure you know most likely it's going to be across multiple markets and if you're operating with lots of different component parts in terms of your agency relationships that becomes quite tricky so i think it's twofold i think it's route to markets have really changed and they need the right team and the right skill sets but also internally within clients organizations their data infrastructure is becoming more connected and therefore that needs to show up in their agency relationships. Yeah, well, that leads nicely on to actually just kind of thinking about what's coming up for the rest of 2023, actually. Um, We've got our final rankings, you know, coming out at the end of the year, but we'll have them every two months up until that point. Um, And we were just looking back at what happened last year. And in the final 2022 EMEA League tables, it was Cara that ranked number one for media and Havas Creative on the creative side. And on a global level for 2022, uh, Publicis Group was um, at the top of the agencies, uh, well, top three agencies in the media league, and Havas Creative was top on the creative side again. Um, so I just wanted to ask, first of all, uh, Tracy, is, is there a lot of pressure for you and the team to try and keep Havas Creative at the top right <laughs> up until the end of 2023? <laughs> uh, I think, um, do you know what? It's really interesting. I mean, I, yes, yes, we talk about where we are in terms of the rankings, but I do think that from from a focus point of view, I think it's much more about making sure that we have happy clients doing great work, honestly. Um, and I think that if that results in wins, that's great, but it is happy clients make great work and which means we keep growing so that actually what I'm proud of in my role. So, you know, you talked about the, my my rather ridiculous title, but what is important about it is it's not just about growth. It's about how we transform the client experience, what new products and services we bring into our remit, whether we can pull on our studio's capability, what new acquisitions are going to make a massive difference in terms of the way that we go to market. Um, so that's as much my focus as it is in terms of growing, but I'll leave you with happy clients make great work, which means we grow, which is definitely our focus. Fantastic. And um, Lisa, does it feel like for you 2023 is shaping up to be a better or worse year for new business in the media side of things? I mean, I think we are, we're seeing um, probably fewer processes happening than last year. I don't think that necessarily equals worse because, um, again, it's about the quality and it's about your ability to to really go into those processes um, with, a, with a winning mentality and feeling very confident that your offer is the right offer for, for your clients. So I think we're seeing lower volumes, but I think we're, we're still very confident in, in how the year is, is shaping up. 
Great. Well, I'm, I'm actually afraid that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much to both of you, Tracy and Lisa, and also Maria, for going to the ins and outs of all the state of new business across the globe. If you'd like to learn more about what we've been discussing today, please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk. Details of our subscriptions are available at campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership, including information on our premium tier, the knowledge. If you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us, like us and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And also a big thank you to Haymarket Studio Manager, Hannah Holt, and also to our producer, Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio. And to you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye. Goodbye.